Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Pat. And uh, again, so appropriate to sing that song as we prepare to look into God's Word as we've begun to look, or we prepared, I guess, last week to look at the Gospel of John and, and that, that concept of loving to tell the story uh, really rings true in John's life, doesn't it? Because he wrote this Gospel uh, when he was an old man, probably late 80s, early 90s. Uh, he had so many years before that been a witness to the things that Jesus had said and done. And here as he's nearing the end of his life, he wants to put what he knew as a witness down in writing so that in essence he's still telling that story today, isn't he? As we look at God's Word. And so last week we got familiar with John the man a little bit, got to, to know him a little bit and his purposes and the things that uh, he did in, in writing his gospel. And this morning we want to dive into uh, the beginning verses of, of that amazing book that he wrote. But before we get into those opening verses, let's just remember again his purpose, even remember his perspective, uh, because as, as you get to the end of this gospel, you know, it closes out um, with a scene where Jesus is walking along with Peter, and Peter looks back, and who does he see? Well, the gospel doesn't say he sees John. It says in verse 20 that he saw, I'm sorry, not not verse 20, but uh, yeah, 21, 20. I'm in the wrong chapter, that's why. Okay, chapter 21, verse 20. He says, <clears throat> he turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. And that's the way that John refers to himself all through this gospel. He doesn't say, I did this or that, or I was there. But the disciple whom Jesus loved, not as though... Jesus loved him more than others, but simply he couldn't get over the fact that Jesus loved him and loved him so much that as the Son of God, he would give his life. And then when you get down to uh, his purpose statement, or I'm sorry, if you get to the end of that chapter, chapter 21, to verse 24, it says, This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things. So again, there we have that positive identification. This is, in fact, the one who wrote it because he wanted to share what he himself had witnessed with his own eyes, uh, the one he had actually touched and, and walked with and, and known in such an intimate way. He wanted to then share that with as many others as he could. And his purpose, if you then back up to chapter 20, uh, verses 30 and 31, says, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. And so we need to keep that in mind as we move into the actual text of the book. 
Why did John write this? Well, so that those who would read it would come to a place of entrusting themselves to the one he's writing about, would put their life in his hands, believing that he is the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that was sent by God, but then by believing that we would be able to have life. That ought to shock you a little bit because he's saying if you haven't believed in him, you don't have life. And you need to have life in his name. And so this disciple whom Jesus loved, he'd he'd witnessed who Jesus was very personally and to the depths of his own soul. He'd come to recognize that Jesus was more than just a man. He was more than just a great teacher, more than an important leader. He'd come to know that Jesus is the promised Messiah. That he is the Son of God and therefore is God himself, as we'll see repeated again and again, and and people wanting to kill him for blasphemy for saying so. But he wants us to entrust ourselves to him so that we can have real life, eternal life, the very life of God living within us. So all that he writes is for those who don't believe that they would believe and entrust themselves to him, but also for all of us who have believed. We need to have our our faith strengthened, right? We need to come back again, and like we did with communion, remember, bring this to mind. Don't forget this, because it is life for you. Know Christ, as Paul says, who is our life. That's why he writes this. And as we move into these early verses, uh, we see that that John speaks in ways that are are really quite simple. He strings together simple, common words, oftentimes repeating the same terms again and again in such a way that the, the meaning isn't clouded by complex language. And yet... The way he takes these simple terms and relates them to each other describes things that are so complex and profound that great scholars struggle to fully grasp the truths that he tells us. The Holy Spirit guided this simple fisherman to introduce us to God the Son and his works as Messiah. And I kind of feel a little bit of trepidation going in. I should stick with John, use smaller words. Makes me a little afraid to go in here because he's spoken so clearly. And yet the things are so profound. So to not cloud what John has said clearly, but but not take the effort to draw out a depth of meaning that we find nowhere else because of the things that he puts next to each other, what the relationship is with the things that he puts next to each other. So I do pray that, that you'll be listening to the Holy Spirit as we move ahead, that he would work in your heart to help understand those things well. Well, these first 18 verses of John are called the prologue. 
Um, and a prologue oftentimes is kind of introductory material, but John's prologue is so much more, and that he really is setting the stage. He's laying the groundwork for everything else that he's going to say in the next 21 chapters. He strings, he's, he's going to take these thoughts that are, that are laid out in these first 18 verses, and he's going to revisit them again and again. He's going to talk to us over and over about life, that, that concept. What is life? What does it mean to believe? What does it mean? So many different things that are here. What is the, what is the light that Jesus is? And he's not only going to, to, to tell us, but he's going to show us. He's going to let Jesus tell us, and then he's going to let Jesus live it out in our minds as we, we see what it is he does and how he does it. And so follow along with me if you would. We're only going to look at the first four verses in depth this morning, but I'm going to read the first 18 verses and just follow along and get an idea of where John is going to take us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, Nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There, was, there came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. So you notice, we don't jump into the things Jesus did right away, right? Uh, like Luke, who even goes back to Jesus' birth and tells us there. But John starts off by telling us, who is this one, this Jesus, that he's going to, to tell us about? He starts off, in the beginning. 
And yes, he means the beginning, the very start of all that was created. He takes us back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And so he says, if you're going to understand who this man is, you have to start before there was anything but God. We have to go where everything begins to know Jesus. And the opening words of the Bible are intimately connected to Jesus. And he's not going to have us work toward the conclusion. He starts with the unavoidable facts of who Jesus is so that as his life unfolds in the telling, we understand, oh, that's why he did those things. That's what was happening. That's why he doesn't doesn't mess around. He says, back in the beginning, back when things first started, in the beginning was the Word. Now you're saying, okay, well, we'll get to the explanation of why the Word, but he is talking about Jesus. Why does he say was? Why doesn't he say is? Well, the word was there that's used. John uses simple words, but he's very precise in the words that he uses, and even in the tense of those words that he uses. And throughout this prologue, when you see the, the verb was, and, and, and I'll explain this, but, it, but it's always in the imperfect tense. What that means is he's talking about an action in the past that is ongoing. And we use the present tense for an action that's going on now and keeps on continuing. But he's looking back and saying, in the beginning, the word always was and had been. He's pointing to the fact that Jesus is eternal there, all through that prologue. So what this means is, he's not just talking about a man. He's talking about someone who always has been. So when the creation's beginning came, the Word had already been existing in an ongoing way when the beginning came. And notice he wor- and you would notice too if you looked at the, at the words in the Greek, he uses the word here for to exist. He doesn't use the word for began. It wasn't in the beginning began the word, no, was having already been, right? So he's not talking about the word, Jesus, being created. That's not at all what's, what's going on there. He always had been prior to the beginning. But what about this, this term, the word? Why does John use this to summarize who Jesus is for us? Well, in the context in which he wrote, remember, he probably, very likely, wrote this from the city of Ephesus. It was a city of a mix of all kinds of people. There was a Jewish synagogue there, but there were also um, uh, worship of all kinds of false gods, the Greek gods, the Roman gods, the emperor. There were idols galore throughout Ephesus. You can go there today and still see the remains of, of the temples where they worship these false gods. And he took a concept that it actually had its uh, some of its early beginnings in Ephesus, this concept of the word. The Greeks had that concept. 
Uh, there was a man named Heraclitus, and he had kind of started this idea of, of the word is, is, well, let me borrow John MacArthur's words. He puts it well. He says, to the Greek philosophers, the logos, or the word, was the impersonal abstract principle of reason and order in the universe. It was in some sense a creative force and also the source of wisdom. So the Greeks said, yeah, there's this, this force, this idea, there's this concept out there. We call it the word. Some, some might even say it was the mind of God. But it's not personal. It's not a person in the Greek concept. John's going to speak to those people who have that idea of the logos, the word. But there was also a Jewish concept of the word. Uh, the word of the Lord to a Jewish reader would bring to mind an important and powerful concept. It was closely associated with God himself in the Old Testament scriptures. So when the word of the Lord came to a prophet, it meant God had come to the prophet, right? A very close, such a close association there. God had come and given revelation. In fact, if we look in the Psalms, Psalm 33, verse 6, just a couple of, of examples of how this, this word is used, word. <laughs> Psalm 33, 6, it says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. So in essence, it's saying God made all those things, Right? And yet it said, by the word of the Lord, these things were made. His word intimately connected with the creation. Or if we go to, chat, to, to Psalm 107 and verse 20, uh, we see the word of the Lord being connected with comfort and care. Psalm 107 and verse 20, he said, He sent His word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. And so here, healing and deliverance come from where? Well, from the word of Yahweh, the word of the Lord. And so as John enters into his gospel, he says, You both Greeks or Gentiles, and Jews, you, you've got something of a concept of this idea of the Word. I want to fill that up with Jesus. John is proclaiming that there is a person that is these things, but more. His identity is more complete, a more complete and full understanding than what had been struggled with with those who observed the way things work in this world and came up with this idea of the, the logos, the Word. It was more full than the Jewish people who just said, okay, God spoke and these things happened. But he's saying, well, there's more to it than just spoken words. He will identify this one called the Word more specifically in verse 14 for us. When he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So when he says the Word, this is a person who was born and lived and breathed and interacted with mankind. 
He will name him by name when you get to verse 17, right? The law was given through Moses' grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ or Jesus Messiah. That idea of, of the word, the logos, or the word of Yahweh in the Old Testament says fill that up with an identity. It's not just thoughts. It's not just words spoken. It is a person. So grasp on to that huge concept and wrestle with it some more. I know many of you already have. But by these simple words being put next to each other, there's something going on here that ought to make your mind feel a little overwhelmed. Because it wasn't just that God's words were powerful and wise, but that the second person of the Trinity was active and at work in those words. Continuing on with John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And so Jesus, the Word, existing in the past, eternally, the Word was with God at the point of creation, and he now brings us to a more critical understanding of Jesus and the Godhead. Because the simple word that he uses here, with, the word was with God, has the idea of, of being with God in the sense of facing him. It, it's the word to be toward him. Uh, could even be translated, the word was face to face with God. It implies fellowship. It implies a relationship. It gives us those ideas. And combining that with the next statement that the word was God begins to bring out this idea that within the Godhead there are distinct persons, right, who have relationship with one another and yet are in complete unity. So the word, the Son of God, was toward God, we'll see him called the Father as we continue on. They are in this intimate, close relationship. And of course he goes on, and the word was God. Again, remembering that tense. He didn't become God. It's pointing back and saying he had already in an ongoing, continuing way been God always before this. Given God's eternal nature, it means that he was God, is God, always will be God. It's a blatant statement of deity. John just starts off right now. I'm going to tell you about this man, Jesus, but I want you to know right off the bat that he is God. He means exactly what he says there. Now, John came to that conclusion gradually over time. He met Jesus as a man, as a teacher, as came to know him as Messiah, but as he experienced him, he came gradually to that conclusion. He wants us to start off clearly. From the beginning, understand this one I'm talking to you about. He's God in human flesh. He is not a God. Some, such as the Jehovah's Witnesses and other false religions, 
want to undermine this foundational truth about Jesus and claim that the translation should provide an indefinite article before that and say the word was a God. Because there's no definite article, the isn't there, so they say, well, of course you should put a in that spot. But the construction argues otherwise. And it's interesting, even though they, they claim that you should put a there, when you have the exact same construction in the following verses in the prologue, in the, in the New World Translation, which the Jehovah's Witnesses use, they don't put A in those other places. For instance, in verse 6, there came a man sent from God. In their translation, they don't say there came a man sent from a God, even though the construction's exactly the same. And it's constructed that way without an article to bring focus on the noun, right? on God. Not some God, but just the one who is God. In verse 12, they don't, they don't translate that with A when it says, He gave the right to become children of a God. They don't say uh, children of a God. Verse 13, you have the same situation. Uh, who was born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. They don't say, but of a God. And finally, in verse 18, again, and no one has seen, is it a God at any time? Makes no sense, does it? But the construction in the Greek is exactly the same. You need to be consistent. The word was God. And living in Ephesus, surrounded by the worship of so many false gods, John would never have given any support to the idea of polytheism, of there being many different gods. It would have totally undermined everything else that he was going to say, to say the word was a god. Well, in that case, you may as well toss out the rest because he's just one among the many, many gods. In fact, Jesus himself will very clearly state that he is God by taking name, the covenant name, Yahweh, for himself. He repeatedly does that when he says, I am, in a number of places. And, and John chapter 8 is one of the most obvious. So let's just, just review that really quickly here. John 8, 24. <clears throat> You're speaking to the, the Jewish leaders. John 8, 24, he says, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, and your version may say he or something else, you might notice it's in italics, it's not there. What Jesus literally said was, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. When you get down to, to verse 58, we're still in the same context. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. You'll notice in the next verse they understood what he was saying because they took up stones to stone him because they thought he was blaspheming to call himself I am or Yahweh. So John starts us off with some very profound and important concepts in verse 1, just right off, off the, the get-go. Here's who this Jesus is. 
And then he repeats himself for emphasis. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. So it wasn't enough to say it the way he said it in verse 1. He says, he was in the beginning with God. In fact, then later John will record Jesus saying explicitly that he existed with the Father before the world existed in chapter 17. So, so jump ahead to chapter 17, verse 5. As, as Jesus, God the Son, is praying to God the Father. And he says in John 17, verse 5, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory I had with you before the world was. See how John got it, that concept? He listened to Jesus who said, I, I possessed that before the world even existed, together with you, beside you. When, that, interesting, there's the word, when the word with, I did, had it with you, it's, it's alongside you. And what did he possess? Well, I possessed your glory with you. You might remember that in, in Isaiah, chapter 42, verse 8, God says, My glory I will not give to another. And he didn't because Jesus is, in fact, God. Who is this man? He's amazing. He is God. He was there in the beginning. But not only that, but he was because he is God the Creator. Verse 3, all things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Remember when we were back in, in Psalm 33, 6, talked about the Word of God created the heavens and the stars and all those things. It's not just speaking about God's speech made those things come into order. But the will of God being carried out and being done by means of a person. God the Son. And so God spoke. And God, the Son, the Word, was active. It was by Him, by means of Him, that all those things were done. Which boggles our minds a little bit, right? When we speak, there's not a person carrying out what we say. In fact, most of what we say doesn't happen, right? If we give a command or we say, let this be. And yet when God the Father speaks, God the Son is the Word and, and is carrying out His will perfectly. Notice that He created not just some things. He wasn't just involved here and there. But He says, all things came into being through Him or by means of Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. John, in his very straightforward way, uses words that guarded against false teachers undermining this truth of the deity of Christ, that He is the Creator God. When he says, all things, all things were made by means of Jesus. Now, some people trying to get away from the truth that Jesus is God say, Jesus was created first, and then God used him to create everything else. But John's very clear here. He says that apart from this creative work of Jesus, 
And literally it says, not one thing came into being. That's, that's the nice, direct, simple language John uses there. Apart from Jesus' creative work, not one thing came into being. And that would include Jesus being created, wouldn't it? Not one thing was made apart from Jesus being involved in it. So if Jesus was created by God the Father and then used to create everything else, what John says here wouldn't fit. But not only that, the, the word already was, right, before that, in an ongoing way with God, before the beginning. But it wasn't just the creation of material things that have no life in them or no soul, but verse 4 says, in him, in the word, was life, and the life was the light of men. So in case anyone should think, oh, well, yeah, Jesus created the stars and the mountains and the seas and all those things, but not people. Well, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. That word men means mankind, anthropos, if you want to know the Greek term there. And so it wasn't just those things. But Jesus was involved in creating that which is life separate, even from animal life. That's why Jesus clearly said in John 14, 6, I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. I am the life. He is life. He has life within himself. And he'll, he'll elaborate on that as well later when John records his teaching. And he uses a word for life that's not bio biological life. It's the word zoe in Greek. And so it's not just animal life. It's not just that your body is alive. But it's the life that God has. It's used 36 times in this gospel. And it is the life that is mentioned back in John 20, 31 that by believing, you may have life in his name. So he's talking about a life that is not ours if we have not believed in him. It is life that he must share with us or we would not have it. That life that is the light of humanity, I believe, connects us back even to the life that God, when he formed Adam, formed him out of the dust of the earth, right? But then what did he do? He breathed his life into him and made him a living soul. This distinguished him from all the created animals. Men are not just another animal. But in fact, he breathed into us his own life. It's a life that gives understanding this world in a whole different way than what animals have. It's a life that makes fellowship with God possible and makes mankind unique in all of creation. But that is also the life that man forfeited when Adam sinned. And God said, 
If you eat of the fruit of the tree, you will surely what? Die. Gave up that life. That's why we needed the one who is the life to come. Without him coming and being the life and giving up his life on our behalf, there was no hope for us to ever gain any kind of life. And, the, and, and simply when our bodies died, what life do we have then? We've lost that connection with our maker, right? And what should we expect but to be separated from him then for eternity? And so as we close, just having touched on a few of these profound topics, question being for you is, do you have that life of Jesus within you? Because Jesus came to overcome the death that resulted from sin, and he was able to do that. You were a sinner, and what sin earned you personally as well is death. The putting out of that light, that life, and the forfeiting of your relationship with God. And so by entering into a relationship of entrusting yourself to this one, the Word who came and who died instead of you, you can enter into an ongoing life that he provides and a relationship with God in which the author of Hebrews says we can come boldly before his throne because we have that connection with him. Is that life yours? If not, it can be today. I'd be happy to, to talk to you about that, but right now you can confess that you are a sinner. You can ask for his gift of eternal life that he came to give, being the life and having given his life on your behalf. Just ask him to forgive your sins and to give you this new life that lasts forever. And it's yours right now, ongoing. But if you've already entered into that ongoing relationship with the Word, I urge you to live like you're alive outside of the way that those around us are living who don't have the life. There's a lot of things going on in this world that you can be a part of, that you can give yourself to, that you can use to make your priorities. But let me tell you, a lot of that is not really life. It's just existing. It's just being a biological being and ignoring that which is life indeed, that which is real life. Invest your time, the life that you've been given, living out the life of Christ now, but shooting for something that's far greater in eternity. Let's pray. Father, You are life. Jesus is life. Your spirit brings life. Help us to live as those who aren't just going from cradle to grave, just putting in time, just surviving, just making a living, just uh, checking things off of a bucket list, just experiencing the things that bring us pleasure. But Help us to fully engage in the life that is you. Help us to to be those who are alive in you, fellowshipping with you, knowing you.
because as Jesus will said in his, his, his prayer in John 17, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you, you have sent. Help us to know you, that we could truly live. We ask this in his name.